You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. Hey, Jordan, your usual drink tonight? Yes, thank you. So, where's Eric and Ryan? Uh, they're on their way. I wanted to listen to your latest podcast, but where can I download the episodes again? You can download all of our episodes at movieguyspodcast.podme.com. You can also find us on every social media platform. Every social media platform? That's awesome. Hey, it looks like your friends are here. Let me get the first round for you guys. Okay, so this movie, The Irishman, is not going to be called The Irishman for me. This is Goodfellas Retired. The, uh, God, this movie's long. Eric, how are you doing? This is Casino 2.0, I, I yeah. guess. But it tells a tale close to home for me. I got to kind of see those same houses that I see in southeast Michigan. So, uh, you know, that's always something. But... Yeah, this movie is long, and uh, these men have aged longer. I, this is, I, I feel like this movie actually did start in the 70s. <laughs> Ryan, did you did you even want to see this? I mean, yeah, of course I want to see it. It's a Scorsese movie where he's teaming up with De Niro, his original muse. So yeah, I was all, I was all gung-ho to watch this thing, and it is... Uh, it's uh, it's quite the uh, time expenditure. But let yeah, that, that's just in the age of Netflix. Obviously, that's where the bar is being set to, or even just regular television, a miniseries that you'd see on uh, HBO, or even you know, shows like uh, Sopranos, anything like that. I'll compare it to. It's the time thing. I mean, how many times have you been convinced or uh, not convinced by going to see a movie simply because of the runtime? It's been a big part. That was actually a big reason why I didn't see Lincoln. I remember that. Uh, two and a half hours. Three and a half hours, this movie. And I'm sure that was not the original cut either. Oh, God, no. Oh, oh, absolutely not. This is a Scorsese joint. Basically, like how I did that there. Uh, his his movies are unreasonably long. and uh, This is his longest movie, by the way. This is the longest movie he's ever made. And 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 unfortunately, Tarantino is starting to creep into that territory. And I feel when big time directors like a Tarantino, like a Scorsese, um, Spielberg, he hasn't made anything this long. But I feel like when the directors make these over three hour long movies, it is their artistic douchebaggery coming out and saying we're important, we have something to say. I mean, hell, uh, Hateful Eight. We reviewed that our first year at Movie Guys podcast. When I saw that in theaters, there was an intermission. There are some movies though where, again, if the story is compelling enough, the time doesn't matter because you are so engaged and so kind of brought into it that it's just, you know, you're you're that much involved to it you're emotionally attached into what the movie is now depending on what emotion you get obviously depends on the time too as we talked about in uncut gems i mean my anxiety couldn't get out of that movie fast enough but at the same part um let's take a movie like i like to compare prisoners you guys remember that movie with uh hugh jackman and yeah. um uh, uh what's his name 
Donnie Darko, Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, that movie is a, is a long run time too. It was like two and a half, three hours, I think. Uh, but it it the story was so compelling to me that it just went by, you know. Like it just it started. I remember I was just watching, it, and then it just ended because of how engaged I was in the story. I think that's what I'm trying to say about The Irishman. But I was fortunate enough to watch this in two parts. Um, but the first part was already like two and a half hours. I, I got a good chunk of it out of the way. Right. Now, this was something, before we get into the meat of the movie, I want to talk about something else, and I want to talk about De Niro and uh, Pacino. Because wasn't it the movie Heat with Val Kilmer that came out, where it was like the first time these guys worked together kind of thing? It was like it was like a big deal, right, to get those two together. Yeah, yeah, when they were big stars. But the fun thing about this is that in that movie, they have the one scene where they're face to face at the diner or the restaurant. They're, you know, their characters are having a sit down. They weren't actually acting together. They shot De Niro's part, shot Pacino's part, and then they kind of spliced their stuff together. There was a movie that came out in the early two thousands called Righteous Kill, which was their when oh, they acted yeah, together. Oh yeah, Righteous Kill. Yeah, yeah which but that, was that, that wasn't directed by a Scorsese, so I feel like nobody cares. No, nobody cared, and it's unfortunate because Righteous Kill never should exist because this movie should have been Al Pacino and De Niro finally are acting together, you know, kind of a thing. I was excited for this cast. Um, De Niro, uh, Pacino, Pesci. This is fun. This is fun for this cast. Um, I know the name Jimmy Hoffa. I don't know anything really about Jimmy Hoffa, probably because of my age. Uh, I thought he was a gangster, a mobster. I didn't know he was like a teamster, which I guess he is or was, you know, a gangster. But he wasn't, you know, the Goodfellas kind of gangster. He was the president of the Teamsters. He wasn't a mafia don. He was just exploiting what systems he could to get the money. Exactly. So... I'm not going to go through this movie step by step, of course, but I am confused about a lot of stuff. And I guess that's kind of my review of asking you guys questions to see if you guys, see if you guys picked up on stuff that I didn't. Well, I have actually. I, well, I think I think we should ask Eric because Eric, are, did did you grow up in the Detroit area? Oh yeah. Um, so definitely. that's let's say that's your home base. Like that's what you know. So like there's a certain type of kind of like Detroit gangster around here and it's not say say gangster i should say just more of like the white collar criminal because we've been doing it so well for so often and it's not even just like guys like jimmy hoffa who by the way disappeared way before i was born uh i think like he did or i'm looking here disappeared 75 yeah uh, it's like almost 10 years so you have other families though that were kind of doing this this kind of I don't know, advantage, taking advantage of the system type of thing. Uh, the Art Van boys, um, Art Van Furniture, you guys have heard about them, I'm sure. Art Van? Yeah. I have some furniture from them. Yeah, so, so do I. Uh, I think it was, it's two brothers that are doing it, and they're fine, but there was a third person who kind of helped up, helped them do their, you know, well, started up, and uh, he's not around any longer, and obviously they don't talk about him a little bit more, but there's a book called Gross Point Pimp. That's a fantastic book. Uh, uh, about him, so that's you know, and there's like uh, the Purple Gang uh, is is known for being around here too. Obviously, we were a big stop, obviously for Prohibition, so it's just kind of enriched in this area. In politics, obviously, have been getting into this for the longest time, even with the bankruptcy in Detroit that happened in what like uh, 2011 or something when Detroit declared bankruptcy. All all those 
politicians started to get little, you know, just like Jimmy Hoffa started to get a little rattled. Like, oh, no, you know, and they had to kind of moose stuff around, and it was, it's nasty, man. It, it, it really is. But uh, the problem with Hoffa is that uh, he didn't play well with other politicians. He, he played with the, with the workers. Clearly, because in this movie he goes head-to-head with, with Kennedy. Well, not John F. Kennedy, but his brother. So, okay, so the Irishman, I, I was Google searching this one, and I guess that's a real name of a real guy who said on his deathbed, essentially, that he was the one that killed Hoffa. And in doing some digging for this movie, this movie's just completely inaccurate, I guess. I it's guess a lot of people... book. Yeah, which is written, which was... Written, not written by the guy, but people wrote it, and it was the story of the Irishman. So and it was called I Heard You Paint Houses, which I guess is mafia code for Do You Shoot People? Okay, so the Irishman, played by De Niro here, he's just a truck driver. Is, is this right? He's, he's, he's just a truck driver. He got busted for doing some small-time stuff, and Joe Pesci just so happened to be at the right place at the right time, and he did something for Pesci, now they love him. And my question, though, is that Pesci is a part of like the Italian mafia, right? In Pennsylvania, is it Pesci or is it or is it or is it Harvey Cartel? Who's the boss? I I think well, everyone's going to be uh, a boss in their own respect. But as far as this part of the in the gang life goes, I don't know as much as uh, maybe anyone else would. But he plays Joe Pesci plays uh, part of the uh, uh, was it Buffalino uh, family. Yeah. And they run out of it's Pennsylvania. Ed's home area. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they recruit him, right? And now he's doing all these gang and mafia hits. And he said he compares it to being in the army, right? You just kind of do what you're told. Um, I was disappointed because it, this movie wasn't as brutal as I thought it could have been, right? Because you, you hear these three actors in the movie together and you hear it directed by Scorsese. I'm expecting some pretty brutal... Uh, execution scenes, and we didn't get much of that. There's a lot of digital blood, is what I noticed in a lot of these murders. Like uh, a lot of the slow, when they do them in slow motion, it's very obvious. It's not. It's it's digitally uh, inserted. Is that bad? Yeah, it takes away, for me, part of like the the impact of seeing the the death like if you compare that to compare that to like sort of the ending for taxi driver i know taxi driver is kind of over the top but because they have the blood even though it is kind of a lighter color it's it adds a more visceral effect to it but so when i see the fake blood the obviously digital wasn't even there on set blood it, it kind of is like uh, okay valid i mean do do we wish though that this could have been over the top like taxi driver i mean do you think this i mean this is the first time ever that all three of these actors were in a movie directed by scorsese at the same time right so don't you think that they missed a huge opportunity to go above and beyond here and just be ridiculous i think uh, maybe they felt it was maybe they felt it would be 200 too unbelievable to have you know that sort of over the top but they also can't be super violent because you know like pacino is what 76 de niro's in his late 70s pesci's i think older than that so it's not like they could you know have roughened i mean there are a few fight scenes but they they can't really get down and dirty and actually do real physicality because they're old they're past the life expectancy of a of the average american male well 
I think Jordan wanted something more like a history of violence. Maybe, yeah. Is that where where it was where you get the, this story, but then during these uh, quick action scenes when somebody's dying, it 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 sh- it shows it. It shows a lot of it. It does, and I guess. I it just almost to a level where it's unnecessary, and um, the camera stays on it. Yeah, the camera doesn't do. Stays on it. Scorsese's known for doing like really stupid, unnecessary camera movements, especially the one scene in Departed when the camera just moves in a one eighty direction for no reason. Um, this is a pretty straightforward movie. Well, there's a benefit to to showing these quick hits, these these hit jobs, these quick kills. Uh, one, you get to have more of them, I guess, and. Maybe it shows just how heartless Frank did them, or it's just like, no, just just quick, just go in there, quick do them. You ain't got to think about it, just do it. Yeah, right, like that one guy, where the older guy's like, hey, do me this favor for me, do me this favor, and Frank's like, okay, and then he finds out that Harvey Keitel owns a part of that laundry business or whatever, and then De Niro goes to see the guy that made the deal with him and just goes, oh, hey, man, how you doing? Pop, pop, twice in the face and just walks away. I'm just like, whoa. Oh, the mistake? The uh... Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so like I said, we're going to jump all over the place. I was bored out of my mind uh, 95% of this movie. I was completely bored out of my mind. Jeez, really? Yeah, I was just bored. I was, I uh, never fell asleep to the movie. You know, like, I never just, like, woke up and, like, oh, God, the movie's still, you know, like, um, but I was bored. But this is when I got interested into it. And I'll tell you exactly where it started and where it ended. Where I was getting metaphorically at the edge of my seat, which I thought was the best part of the movie, was when Frank wakes up and they're driving to, like, to Toledo, Ohio area. And Joe Pesci says, hey, you're gonna get on a plane. You're gonna go to Detroit. The girls are gonna stay here, and I'm and and as soon as he said that, I'm like, I know what's gonna happen. You know, De Niro's gonna have to kill uh, Pacino here, like that's the end of this of this ABC. So the whole time of him driving to the airport, getting on the plane, getting in the car with Chucky, the fish argument, the house, and him killing Hoffa. As soon as that scene ended with killing Hoffa, I was kind of done. I was like, okay, there's. I, that was the only part of the movie where I felt intense. Do you guys agree with me at all on this one? Sure. So if you knew what was coming, I can understand why it would be even more tense. Uh, and yeah, you could kind of tell that he was going to uh, another another job. Speak that mafia code, you know. Got that lingo down. Ryan, what do you think? Do you think this was intense or am I crazy? I mean, it's it it is the best part of the movie. Um, it has an incredibly long, uh, what, they, what they call that denouement, uh, like the downward action at the end. But I I, I will agree that like a, a lot of this movie, there are like there are exciting parts. Like I I like the um, what's his Tony Pro? Yeah, Pro name? was Pro was a fun character. Yeah, like the scenes he had with with, with Jimmy Hoffa, those are fun. Um, the one with Bo, the the one scene with Bo Deedle where he's introducing Frank to to Jimmy Hoffa, um, like there's some good like there's good stuff, but like it there for me like Jordan like I was kind of just waiting for stuff, waiting for stuff. Um, but once once they get to um, the once they have the banquet 
uh, and Jimmy starts kind of you know popping off at the the big the big toughs the big gangsters especially when he does it to Joe Pesci um, that I think from that moment is when I started to get interested in it and then I think once once Frank calls Jimmy's wife on the phone and they have that like little conversation I think that's where I kind of started to fade away again does this now let's just put the real life events out of our head because we don't know if Hoffa was killed. Of course he was killed, but you know, he's missing and all that shit. Um, Frank killing Jimmy Hoffa in this movie. And he pretty much, and he survives because there's no death of him, right? When the credits roll. Does this make Frank an unlikable character? Because Jimmy Hoffa was his, his buddy, right? So he's just a heartless, cold-blooded bastard. Yeah. So does this does this make us like him? Well, this is my thing. My thinking is that is is he an un, is he an unreliable narrator? Because he's he's telling us this story because it flashes from him at, at the end with the in the in the retirement community back to the beginning when he's I'm assuming in his early 30s when he's driving the truck uh, through his rise through the Teamsters and the local mafia. Um, where he seems like he's not the man in charge and he does present himself as sort of a, not necessarily a dimwit, but not like, you know, super smart. Um, but is it possible? Like, cause he, he killed all these, he killed all these people successfully. Like he went into that restaurant and killed the guy in front of his family. And, and not once did he get, like, he didn't get spoken of. They didn't, nobody said they saw anything. Like he just cleanly got away with it. Um, with like only his daughter suspecting. So, is it possible that this whole thing? Because like when you talk about it, it's all inaccurate. I know you said forget the the, the real life story, but they need to talk about like how the book itself was filled with inaccuracies. You know, do we trust him? Do we take him at his word? I don't know because who's he even talking to when he's an old man in the retirement home? We don't see who he's talking to. Exactly. We don't know if he's talking to the. Uh, my wife thought he was talking to the priest. I thought maybe he could have been talking to the daughter, but you know she never comes back. It just, it just, I don't mind following a bad guy and feeling something for the bad guy. You know, kind of like Pulp Fiction. You know, like you, you know, like you, you. Those were all bad guys in that movie. And I'm just bringing up Pulp Fiction with the connection with Tarantino. But this movie, as soon as he killed Hoffa, and then he doesn't die at the end, it makes me go. I don't really like this guy, so I don't really care about his character. I have nothing invested. And he completely lost me as a character. You're right, Ryan, where he where he executed the guy in front of his family. Like that was that was heartbreaking because it's like, oh my god, his wife, his kid is there. And he was explaining how he's gonna do it too. Like he was he was saying in the voiceover, you know, like he's gonna do it to uh to prove a point to his wife and it's like, oh my god. Well, I think that we're supposed to believe leave that the irishman is really just yeah just a mafia thug like this is tales from a henchman basically Con- confessions from from the hitman but the hitman just also happens to kind of be you know like a gomer pile type i guess nice so okay mafia language here we do the banquet which ryan talked about earlier and uh, the Irishman gets uh, honored in the Teamster stuff, and they do this whole song and dance thing. And then there's a scene when they're up on a balcony where you got uh, Pesci and you got De Niro, 
and Pesci gives De Niro the ring, and they don't actually call it out what he's doing. Did Joe Pesci just made De Niro? Is De Niro now considered a boss with that ring? Or is that just a sign of respect? I took it that that was like, hey, you're, now you're a boss. You're untouchable. That's what I took it as, too, because he said there's only three people. Him, Harvey Hattel's character, and now the Irishman. Okay, so my assumption was right, then, that he was made. He was he was a boss. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. I was like, dude, he just got made. Right? Well, I mean, after watching Goodfellas, right, you kind of... <laughs> it, it is kind of funny that Joe Pesci was the one that made a guy wearing Goodfellas. He's the one that got executed when he was going to be made. That's kind of funny. And Joe Pesci didn't get brutally murdered in this movie like they did with Goodfellas or Casino. Casino, he got, he got murdered. In that movie, you guys remember Casino on his death scene in the cornfield? Oh, oh, yeah, that one. I mean, I guess he gets he... shot in the face, doesn't he? And he got shot in the face in Goodfellas when he was going to be made. And then in Casino, um, his own crew backstabbed him and they took him out to a cornfield and they beat his ass to death with a baseball. Oh, sorry, they beat him almost to death with a baseball bat. Him and his brother stripped him and threw him in a hole in the cornfield, and they were still, like, they were breathing. They were still alive, but they were on the verge of death. And that was a pretty brutal scene because, like, because Scorsese put the Joe Pesci dummy down, and he had the actors wail on this dummy. Clearly, it's a dummy getting beat by a fucking baseball bat. So it was, it was yeah. brutal. Burnt with a flamethrower, uh, feathered, hit with a paint can in Home Alone, and... Everything, right? <laughs> fell from a two-story building. That that kid did more to Joe Pesci than all those men did. That's true. Okay, so we got to talk about the technical aspect here uh, of the movie where they are de-aging these old men to look younger in the 30s. So, Eric, I'll ask you first, and Ryan, I'll, I'll, I'll do the same question follow-up. Eric, did this de-aging thing work for you at all? Could you tell a difference? Do you think it was necessary? What's, what Should it have been younger actors playing them? Uh, uh, what do you think? They did their best. I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay, Ryan? No, no, no. no it, Eric, they, go they, ahead. They did their best. I don't think they should have recast it, I guess. Like, they would just be weird. Well, no, I guess I could see that as long as the people look like them. I mean, as long as it worked. They could do that now, right? They could cast body doubles and they could put the young faces over them, kind of like Carrie Fisher in, in Rogue One, right? Would it feel like a Bronx Tale then after that? Ooh, yeah. Because of the De Niro part? Yeah, well. Ryan, what do you think? I mean, I think the special effects, for the most part, work. Uh, um, when the camera isn't really moving, when they are sitting still, the you can't you can't tell really that they, they really like. I mean, there are some scenes where I noticed Pesci's mouth didn't quite move realistically, like a normal person's mouth moves. But I mean, the fact that they were they were able to do it and make it at least somewhat convincing is is great. Um, especially because it took me, I, I realized a lot of the scene, well, most, I think every scene actually that Pesci's in, he's got these big, big glasses on. And that's, that's gotta be, I mean, that's to, I mean, have that. And then on top of still trying to get the proper emotion out digitally, uh, I mean, that's commendable, but when they're moving, when the camera's moving, it doesn't, I, for me, it didn't work because they, you know, 
De Niro looks like he's in his late 40s, early 50s, but he's still moving like a man who's almost 80 years old. It's like with um, Samuel L. Jackson and Captain Marvel. Like, the effects on that and Captain Marvel are, like, near perfect, Mm -hmm. except for when Samuel L. Jackson's running or moving swiftly. (laughs) He looks like an old man. (laughs) Is it just me talking about special effects, or does Joe Pesci with those glasses look like the old man from Up? (laughs) Yeah. It kind of does, yeah. He, I was I was thinking that the whole time. I was like, oh, if they make Up in a live-action movie, this would be perfect for Pesci. Yeah, that or, well, or Scorsese a, has to direct it, yeah, obviously. Has or to. Or Jiminy Glick. <laughs> 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 okay, uh, another big question here for you guys. Is this movie 20 years too late? I think that's a big question to ask. Like... This is, I mean, I mean, Scorsese is getting all three of these major players, including the fourth, which would be Scorsese, are getting older. Is this movie twenty years too late? Should this have come out in, you know, two thousand? I, I, I don't think it would have worked in theaters, uh, but maybe it would have. Maybe I would have rather have had this than Hugo. Oh yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, that was terrible. But, I mean, nip, not make it long. Cut it down to three hours at the most, you know, because that's the kind of movies that he makes. But I'm just saying, with the age of these actors and all the special effects that they have to do, the book came out, what? What, the guy died. The Irishman died in 2003. So you could have made this movie in, hell, 10 years ago. You could have made this movie 10 years ago. And I think it would have had a better impact. I think it would have meant more. You know what I mean? Because with this, with, I don't, it just... I'm not dogging on older actors. It's just the way that they moved, the way that they acted. It just really felt like Goodfellas Retirement Home. It felt like Grumpy Old Men Part 3. I will say that like, comparing it to Goodfellas, um, I, I don't think it... It's a To me, at least, it's a vast, it feels like a very different movie. Like they're, It's still dealing with gangster stuff, but the way that goodfellas is presented there's a constant energy that permeates the whole thing where it's just snapping through this the storyline where it's going jumping from this to this to this whereas this movie um kind of because it jumps it kind of jumps from like new target to new target to new target jimmy hoffa new target whatever but it's more uh like a i don't know what the best word it's more like a there's a there's a low-key energy to it where I, I feel like that's kind of one of the, the drawbacks, uh, especially comparing it to Goodfellas, because Goodfellas is one of the... I, I'm not alone in this thought, but I think it's one of the best movies ever made. And this is not close to that. No, I don't even think this is one of the best movies this year. How, okay, how do you both... I know that Jordan used to be bored by this movie, but aside from interest, was this movie paced well? Like... That was one component that I didn't mind with this just because it was jumping and hurried almost with its thought. Um, it kind of helped out a bit that it was just, well, quickly paced. But then you had these moments, these dry moments that like the, the road trip moments where you're like, I don't know what's happening here. It's obviously building up towards the climax, which is what the goal was. But then flashback and that's where we get back into the skip 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 i think the pacing is 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 okay but i think the pacing doesn't help with my boredom because nothing happens just like i'm bored to death in the hateful eight because nothing happens 
until the last 30 minutes. And that's kind of what this movie is. You know, yeah, like the pacing's detail. You know, I just, it's just, it, it's just people talking on screen about nothing, really. Yeah, you have some executions, you know, murders and all that stuff, but it's just nothing is happening to grab your attention. I mean, like, what grabbed my attention right off the bat was the introduction of Pacino's Hoffa, because I wanted to see that, and I think that was miscasting a lot. I don't think if Pacino should have played Hoffa. had taken a lot of those bits out then and gone into detail a bit more about maybe the money-making endeavor that they were doing, the illegal part of it, the laundering part that they were doing? Is that something they have interest? Or yes. maybe we could have seen uh, something a little bit more in-depth about what uh, Hoffa's part into it, like maybe him getting into it, I guess. Uh, but didn't we already I think that? it would have been more. I think it would have been more interesting if this movie, because I, 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 I get it's called The Irishman. It's based off a book. I think he, I think the author interviewed Frank when, and when he was in prison or whatever, when he was older. Um, but I think it would be, I think it would be a more interesting movie if we actually saw the like, it was equal parts Frank's rise through to becoming a, a capo in the mob. Wherever is it, Pittsburgh or Pen, uh, Philadelphia? I think it was where, Philadelphia. Where Philadelphia. Philadelphia. And then at the same time, we see. Um, the rise of Jimmy Hoffa through the Teamsters, you know, like when we first are introduced to Jimmy Hoffa, he is already the president of the Teamsters. He's already this big guy uh, that the the um, government is targeting. But I think if we would have seen that the the equal equal shared time between the rise of Frank and the rise of Jimmy when he does end up killing Jimmy, I think it would have had a larger impact. And to me, I think it would have been more interesting. And I think it would have had a larger impact if we actually saw De Niro break down and feel sorry for the fact that he just murdered his one of his trusted friends. I mean, the only thing close family we got... Family friend. Family friend. All we got was him coming home, family's watching the news that Hoffa's missing, he takes two glasses of whiskey, goes upstairs, and stumbles his words a little bit with Hoffa's wife, and that's it. And it cuts them all getting indicted and going to jail and all this stuff. And it's like there's no remorse. Cold-blooded, man. That, just that cold-blooded. That, that Irish emotion where they just swallow it. You know? I mean, like, I guess he kind of has remorse because he starts talking to the priest about stuff, but there's nothing of him... Conf- like, I would have liked to seen De Niro have some range and, like, confess to the priest about stuff, you know? And then tell him, admit, you know, I killed Hoffa and break down and, and cry and feel something for what you did because he wrecked Hoffa. Hoffa turned his back and said, let's go. And he's like, all right, pop, pop in the back of the head. Brutal. Yeah, dude, that was real. Um, he didn't. And, and the camera didn't sit there and linger. It, it pop, pop in the back of the head. Hoffa's dead on the ground. And he just. De Niro just kind of stumbles, like looks left and right, and then and then leaves. He doesn't sit there on the ground and just go, "What did I just do?" And I guess, and and I guess if you're gonna make a cold-blooded killer like De Niro's character, I, see, I'm torn because I guess I want to have my bad guys to have some some weight to it. You know what I mean? Like I want to feel for them. You know? Oh yeah, and, I, you want a. Uh... You want a speech? I don't want a speech. I just want to see this guy who has been his trusted friend for how many years, 
to sit there and to go, I just shot my 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 friend twice in the back of the head. I, I feel something for this. Instead of just this this dark cloud of nothingness. Like I was just surprised that they went with that choice. Maybe his his demeanor is because uh, he sees Joe Pesci's character as his real family, as the his the person he has his real loyalty to. And when that person says Jimmy's got to go, to him it's no questions asked. Jimmy is Jimmy's got to go, and there's he's able to shut off that you know whatever valve. That is, because he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't really have a whole lot of emotion going through the movie. Even when he kills somebody, it's not like he, he, not that he feels remorse, but he doesn't even get excited about it. It's just something he has to do. You know, like, one of the things that I thought of to to go on that real quick is one of my, one of my favorite little small movies that came out in the 90s was uh, True Romance, written by Tarantino, if you guys have seen that. And uh, my favorite scene in the whole movie is when Patricia Arquette, is being held hostage by the hitman who plays uh what's his name tony in the sopranos and he he knocks her off rubs her off a bit and he's sitting there smoking a cigarette while she's bleeding and he says a line he says um you know the first person i killed i actually threw up after i did it right and because when you first see that hitman, he's this cold, ruthless killer that's just beating the hell out of a woman. But then he has a moment to tell the audience his human side about how he reacted to killing that person. And I guess that's something small like that. This is all I needed. Just something small like that to make me feel for him or him having the conflict, you know, like him going on the plane to Detroit and him having this inner monologue with himself of, do I try to save Jimmy? Or do I, you know, like just that struggle? And that was my biggest complaint with the movie. Besides the pacing of the time, there's just no character development with the Irishman. He is a cold-blooded prick in the beginning. He's a cold-blooded old prick at the end. Yeah. It it could just be as simple as that. And the way that they explain his body, too, because obviously the mystery is still very popular around these parts at least it's still american folklore kind of at this part too where did jimmy hoffa's body go and for the most part this movie probably explains the best thing that happened probably just got cremated or you know uh disposed of and uh, the body is annihilated somewhere we're never gonna find it it's gone right it's probably best uh, case scenario and probably uh he was hit just as as well as that quickly as that too. Like probably took out to the woods somewhere. Probably uh, shot him real quick and just did it. You know, I mean, put him in some wood chipper or something. I don't know it. <laughs> wood chipper. It, it probably was just something. What? But still, uh, there's this still the scavenger hunt, and everyone loves to do a news a reel of you know every once in a while they'll do. Oh, uh, we think that we found uh, we had a tip from one of the ex-members of the Buffalino family, and they said that they know where the body's buried. And, you know, there was another book that came out that said it was, oh, he's buried, and now he's mixed in with the cement, and he's in one of the pillars of 696. And and, uh, there's a whole bunch of different theories. He's he's inside of a pillar of what? uh, We have... He was under a bridge, right? Yeah. uh, There's a... 
a lot of these overpasses, a lot of these huge, uh, um, just kind of uh, parts where the a lot of the highways, these big main veins, just kind of over and intersect. You know, regular interstates, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Those big, those big cylinders that kind of are at the base of the foundation. Yeah, it's probably in one of those. Well, they <laughs> they think they cemented them in cement. Wow. Yeah, poured them in with the mix. Well, what a way to go. That would not well, have been that would not have been quick like the way De Niro did it. I mean, who's to say that he was alive when they put him in there? Like they need to get rid of a body. These are just a whole bunch of things too. They made an effort to dig up the Detroit River in efforts to find him too. I know it was a cleanup effort, but there was one they made jokes of it. It's like, oh, maybe we'll find Jimmy Hoffa in there. So that's kind of where we're at right now. Is it? Oh, well. Well, there's a there's a joke in Bruce Almighty where he uses his god powers to find Jimmy Hoffa's body. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. The dog digs him up, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 Well, he gets the breaking story before we end the show. Right. Uh, my opinion is Jimmy Hoffa is on the island with Tupac, Michael Jackson, Elvis, having a great time, mm-hmm. alive and well. Wouldn't Elvis be dead by now? He'd be like ninety something. Hey, my grandfather's ninety three, and he still snowmobiles. So. No, I guess that's true. I mean, well, I mean, your your grandfather also didn't eat, uh, didn't fly to Memphis to eat the king sandwiches every night, which was basically just steak on buttered bread. True, but you know, they're on an island in real life, living off a of tropical fruit, having a great time. Tupac and Elvis are friends, and that's where Hoffa is. Oh yeah. You see, you include Hoffa uh, with. Tupac, Tupac and Elvis and Biggie and Michael Jackson. He, wait, does Jimmy can Jimmy Hoffa carry a tune? Is that something they left out of this movie? We don't know. He could. He could be moonwalking huh. with with uh, Michael right now. You don't know. He runs. He runs the union. Yeah, he he runs the union He's and the committee leader. And 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 they, and they just got a new member a few weeks ago. They got Epstein and. <laughs> And Epstein's used to being on islands. Hey, oh. Hey, that's true, because Epstein didn't kill himself. Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> All right, guys, let's get into our popcorn rating, our first popcorn rating for 2020. Eric, let's go with you, buddy. What is going to be your popcorn rating for The Irishman? I enjoyed this movie. Just, just plain and simple. At runtime is a son of a bitch. And I did not do this in one stretch. I don't know if a lot of people did. I don't know if you guys did. It seems that there are more guides out there that will show you how to watch this movie in parts and segments rather than it just being this whole one, one-stop one shop. Do it like a miniseries like Netflix uh, does. And that might work, but it also might take a lot of the flavor out of it too. Either way, I I did enjoy this movie. I enjoyed seeing Joe, Joe Pesci doing Joe Pesci things. Al Pacino is always going to do a, a great job playing Al Pacino. And Robert De Niro did a great job of an Irishman doing his impression of Robert De Niro. And with that, I give this a small bag, but I'll put some butter on it, I guess, just because it did have some good juicy moments and flavorful moments. But at the same part, man, I don't know. This would have been better as... Maybe something else, or I, yeah, you know, I'm not in a rush to to watch it again. And if you're gonna ask for a Scorsese movie, I would sooner give you 
his other works than this one. You know, I'm going to agree with you 100%, Eric. I'm going to give this one a small bag, too. Like, it's this is not a Scorsese movie. I would actually tell people to watch Cape Fear before I tell them to watch this one. <laughs> you know, like, I just, I just, I just not, I just not dig this one. And it's sad because you got the three major characters together, three of the most influential actors, you know, over the past, what, 30, 40 years, one would argue. Together in one movie with Scorsese, this should be gold. This should be like one of, if not the best movie of all time. Should be. I guess. I guess. I guess. Maybe my hype train was a little too much for it. Um, I wasn't just enjoyed it. I still enjoyed it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, that I want to say that I am saying. I don't. I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it. The best way is to Google how to watch this in segments. Because it took me four days to see this freaking thing. And I just... This would have been better as a as a, as a three-part miniseries. And just overall as a movie, I didn't care for the special effects as much. I did not like Al Pacino in the movie. I thought he was miscasted. I thought that he would be better in the Harvey Keitel role, maybe. Something small, you know, just to kind of tease the audience with if Al Pacino's in this movie. I don't think he did a good job in this. I think this is one of his worst acting jobs that he's done. Not the worst, but definitely up there. Um, I don't think the movie has a lot of weight to it. I think the movie is very uh, cold, just like our main character. And it's not a movie I'm going to go back to. But a small bag, if you're interested in Scorsese, and if you like those three actors, check it out. You probably won't get through the first hour and a half because you'll be bored. Ryan, what's your popcorn rating? Small bag, gotcha. Yeah, small bag. <laughs> um, this, I mean, I here's, here's the thing. I don't dislike this movie. Um, but, uh, yeah, but I'm not like over the moon about it. And I think that, like Jordan said, the hype train, like I wasn't super hyped for this movie, but I feel like to me, it should be better. Um, just cause of all the ingredients thrown into the souffle. But there's also a thing with me that I've noticed where, uh, like there are a plethora of Scorsese movies that are considered good to great that I just can't connect with. Like they lose me at some point, and I just can't, I can't get into them. Like Gangs of New York, it's a good movie. It's inarguably a good movie, but I, I just can't get into it. I don't know if it's Cameron Diaz. I don't know if it's the setting. I don't. It's I, I don't Cameron know. Diaz. Cameron Diaz. Well, I, the same thing with The Aviator. Like that's a good movie. I can tell. Like I can objectively say that. Yeah, that's a good movie. Those are but exhausting for some reason, movies. Like yeah, I can't get into so it. much. But like you know, Hugo, you know, couldn't get into Hugo, um, couldn't get into Shutter Island. Mm. But you know, like a, like the classics, Goodfellas, Taxi Driver, um, even that one movie, After Hours from the mid '80s, Passion of the Christ. I can get into all those movies. Passion, Passion of Christ is no, no, the the last not tempta- Passion. Sorry, Last, last temptation. temptation of Christ. Temptation, yeah. Um, yeah, but like I can get into all those, but. You know, Wolf of Wall Street, but for some like this one just didn't grab me, um, like I like I thought it was going to, and you know the the special effects work for the most part, but they become kind of obvious in certain parts, especially when you know there are old men running, and it just I like I had an issue with the pacing because there are a lot of scenes that I felt drug on, especially with dialogue where they're basically like well, a character will repeat 
a, a variation of the same line three times in a row in part of their conversation. That annoys me when that happens because I always expect expediency. You know, you got to get you got to get to the point and move on. But, you know, you give a man who has had a, you know, a 40, almost 50 year career of, you know, churning out classics. Uh, you give him benefit of the doubt, and it's a Scorsese, so he's allowed to do those things. But overall, I'm gonna I'm gonna say for me, it's a small bag. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Movie Guys Podcast. We hope everybody had a great holiday and a great new year. And next week we'll be back with 1917. Oh, finally, looks like a decent World War One movie, and it's directed by Sam Mendes, right? 1917 won the Golden Globe for Best Drama this year. Awesome. Awesome. So we will be reviewing that next week. Coming your way, everybody. Thank you so much, Eric and uh, Ryan. It's a pleasure, like always, to talk to you. And I'll be talking to you guys next week for 1917. Have a good night.